Welcome to Vet Talk with Royal Canin, where we are going to address a wide variety of topics of interest to veterinarians and veterinary clinics. I'm Brenda Andreessen, founding partner of The Bridge Club, the first video-based community created to enable industry professionals to connect, engage, learn, and grow in just 25 minutes. Since our launch in February 2018, more than 1,400 veterinary professionals have participated in 43 of our live and virtual events. They're great conversations, and I am really happy to partner with Royal Canin to share the knowledge and maybe a few useful tips that you can use in your practice. So let's get started. Today's podcast episode is Finding Happiness in Veterinary Medicine, and our panelists today are Dr. Kimberly Pope Robinson and Dr. Laura Pletz. Welcome. Thank you. So it is staggering to know that male veterinarians are two times as likely and female veterinarians are 3.5 times as likely to die from suicide as members of the U.S. population. So during this podcast, our panelists are going to discuss finding happiness in veterinary medicine by managing emotional well-being, creating a career that is sustainable, and combating stress. So let's talk a little bit about the toll that veterinary medicine can take on your emotional well-being. Yeah, so I, I definitely live this myself from being a veterinarian, right? And I'm sure... Um, Dr. Laura can also talk to that uh, accord. I have worked in so many different areas of the veterinary profession. So I originally started out in large animal, did an internship, worked at a large animal facility. Then I went to small animal, and then I went into management in small animal, and then I went into pharma, and then now I have my own movement that I'm managing in this space. And what I can say is I've seen the stresses across the board. So it's not like, oh, if you're in corporate medicine, it's bad, but in private practice, it's okay. No, I've worked in both, and it's both present. This is in large animal, it's not in small. Nope, been in both, in both. You know, uh, emergency medicine, not GP. Nope, nope, been in both, seen it there too. So I think it, it does, it is a pretty big toll. And the reason why I started my movement, One Life Connected, was to create this space that gives us permission to start finding that space that allows us to have our unique path to sustainability. And I think because it's so omnipresent and everywhere, there is no one solution. So it's more about allowing each person to see themselves, and then they have a framework in which they can work from to find a new path. And even though the studies weren't there, living it, I could have told you this. Now it's confirmed, but I was talking this seven, eight, ten years ago, and it's now starting to be something we're talking about. Laura, was your was your experience similar to Kimberly's? Yeah, I, I certainly had some of the same experiences. For me, I was practicing for eleven years in the same practice, and the last five years of that, I also took on the responsibility of ownership. So that was another layer. Um, but what's interesting about my story is, after at that time, I left to join Royal Canin and went to industry. I really had to step away from it to see how, like, I was just so deep into it and in, you know, protection. Like, I had I had figured out how to survive it, but walking away from the environment, it that's when it really became clear to me that it was a really emotionally draining um, profession at times um, and saw some ways, when, once I moved away from it, how we could do a little bit better job with that and make the culture such that, it would be a better environment. So was there a particular time when you just knew you couldn't take it anymore or something that tipped you towards saying, this has got to stop, I've got to step back and take that stock? I think for me, when there's a number of things that happened in my career that caused my shifts in what I went through. But the, the moment, and I talk about it in my book, The Unspoken Life, was 
I was actually going to become a statistic. I was going to take my own life. And it's not easy to talk about. In fact, until I wrote the book, my family and friends didn't even know that time existed. And they didn't even realize that I almost did that. That was the first time I actually shared that. And I was not practicing at the time. I was in management, but I still was being exposed to all the struggles and strains. And I think for me, I felt trapped. I felt obligation. I felt, how could I leave this profession because I put so much time and energy into this? What's wrong with me? I'm a bad person. And I had basically this moment where I was going to do it. And then I had a spark, like a, a flash. And I talk about it. And, and it's basically, I thought about my horse not seeing me again and my cats. And the same human bond that kind of brought me to that point where I was feeling so disconnected and and just lost, I realized was also something that can help me. I then began to realize that there was a different way of looking at things, and I started to shift. Now, it didn't happen like that. It didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like everything was all of a sudden sunshines and rainbows and unicorns. (laughs) It was a fight that I had to make, but I now had a framework to work from, and that's what I'm trying to help people realize is that they're not broken, and they're also not alone, and there is a different way to kind of approach this, but the struggles are and the sinkers and all the things that are hard are still going to be there. It's about how we can help support each other and find resilience within ourselves and within each other. So we're going to talk in just a second about some of your coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. that you're now putting forth to help other people as well, too. So, you know, Laura, I would love to hear, though, from your perspective, Mm -hmm. too, um, how you then kind of turned the corner. What was it for you that made you say, I've got it, I'm going to pull through this and I I can do it? All right. Well, like I said, you know, I don't think I, I didn't hit the wall completely. I was lucky enough that a series of circumstances took me in a little bit different direction, such that I got to be away from it for a bit and see, look back and see, oh my gosh, what was I doing? Running so crazy, trying to do so much and putting so much pressure on myself um, to be anything and everything for my clients and take care of these pets. So I'm really lucky in that respect. Um, but it was interesting that you brought up, Kim, about you know, how can I leave this profession? Because there's a whole nother set of stresses that sometimes some of us that work in industry or non-traditional careers feel. Um, There's this, are you still really a veterinarian, even though we're doing things that are really moving forward, healthcare for pets and still very active in that, but it's, it's an interesting vibe. So that's something that it's been great to find a support network. Um, Other people like, like, Dr. Pop Robinson that is doing other things um, and we can rely on each other to help with mitigate that challenge. Too. And that brings up a really good point, I think, right? The support network. So how do you find that support network? And I know, I know, Kimberly, you have a framework that you've developed to help people understand where to step in. And, and would you talk a little bit about that framework and why it evolved the way it did and how it's helping? So that moment when I was on the end of my bed you know, contemplating that, really critical decision. I had that flash. The framework didn't come to me then. It it, it took, I mean, that was back in 2009 and I didn't actually frame it all up probably until almost five, six years later. For me, it's being able to see that there's always going to be negative and positive. And what I got frustrated with was everybody was just like, put the rosy glasses on and see everything as positive. But the fact is the negative still exists no matter what. And it's not a bad thing. It's it's learning how to embrace both sides of it and not and not wallow in the negative, but not put the rosy glasses on and be all the positive to make it seem like it's nothing's bad. Nothing ever bad is going to happen. 
So I call it the sinkers and the balloons. And for each of us, there's these sinkers that are unique to us that pull us into this space where we feel unworthy of acceptance and belonging. We feel shame. Who Brene Brown talks about this a lot. She, she educates us on shame. And when we're in that place of shame, blame and fear and judgment, they all just live right there together. And so for me, when I go to that space, I got to blame someone. I got to judge someone. So now I realize that when I'm blaming and judging, I'm, I'm, I'm wallowing and I'm starting to sink and let the sinkers take over. So now I reach for my balloons. Those are the things that lift me up. And maybe I don't completely come out of that ocean of shame. It's, it's still there, but it helps lift me up a little bit. It doesn't replace the sinkers because they're always going to be there because they're actually driving a lot of my conviction and they're connected to my passion. So they need to be there. However, it's about grabbing them and the balloons at the same time. And the balloons are mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. So they're each unique. And so when you look at that framework, we're all different in what our sinkers and our balloons look like. And the idea is, and I'll say it again, you're not broken and you're not alone. And you don't need to be fixed. It's learning to learn. It's learning to realize what balloons work for you to help offset the sinkers. And so now instead of name, blame, judge, I recognize where I'm at. I embrace it and I stay connected and I embrace both the sinkers and the balloons. Whereas the old me, I was living in the sinkers and wallowing in judgment and blame. And that was either internal or external. Clients are stupid and you can't fix stupid or I'm stupid and I can't fix me. So it went both ways. And what I realized is when I live there, it's not serving me. And so now I question myself when I'm feeling that. And I ask, you name blame judging? How do you move to the other way? And it's not easy. You bring up a really good point, too, that not everybody's coping mechanism can be the same. You clearly found something that works for you. And I know it's working for other people as well. So, Laura, what did you grab onto? What What are the things that are helping you to cope every day from falling back into some of those bad habits? I think for me, the biggest thing is when I think about how you talk about the balloons and the sinkers, I try really hard to be proactive about those balloons. So I don't start, I'm starting out in a good place because I know those challenges and those sinkers are coming. So I try to really, what are those things that, that bring me some joy and give me some happiness that I know I enjoy doing. So I'm starting up very high, you know, things feeling good rather than, you know, starting out low. And when something comes at me, I don't have as much resilience. So I think that's been my focus to find some of those things. And clearly, we're all here still in the veterinary profession in some way, shape or form, right? So what is it that keeps you then? I know we talk about what keeps you going in the framework, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so still here in the profession today, talking to other young women and young men who are dealing with the same kind of difficulties. Do you have any special simple tidbits of advice that you would say to them if they came to you and said, help me in the same way you helped yourself or started to share with you um, how they were feeling? I get that question actually a lot is what advice would I give somebody in the profession, new to the profession, who's been in the profession a long time, who wants to come into the profession. And what I tell them is there's no one piece of advice I can give you that tells you what you need to do to help yourself because you have to find that on your own. What I can tell you is you have permission to find that on your own. And that's why the framework works so well, because even though Laura may go a different route, we use the language, you know, sinkers, balloons, that kind of thing. And, and I think that that's what I tell them is I explain that analogy and I tell them now, knowing this, this is going to change throughout your career and what that looks like. But 
what are you going to use to prepare yourself? And there's a great quote out there by Viktor Frankl, who is a Holocaust survivor. And I pretty much share this quote with them. And I say, he shared, after losing all his family, his entire community, he's a psychiatrist who made it through this, and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He said, that which is to give light must endure burning. And what I tell them is, you are giving the light of honoring the human bond. You are giving the light of what it means to love our pets, love our animals, and connect with them. And that is a lot of wonderful things. With that will come a burn. And it's just a question of if, it's when. And so what do you have to help you with the burn? The old me tried to stop the burn, tried to you know, not allow the burn or put all my energy into the burn. And it's not about that. It's about accepting the light and the burn at the same time. And I then challenge them to keep that in mind as they go through their career because it will change. And, and Laura, so you both have left traditional veterinary practice but Mm -hmm. still very engaged with it. What advice would you give, and and Laura, I'm going to ask you to to talk to this point first, for those who want to stay in veterinary practice? You chose to leave and find other pathways, right, to to use your passion. Um, But there are those people who want to stay in practice, and yet they they face the same stressors day in and day out. So how do they deal day in and day out with specific stresses? Right. So I do think the network piece is very important. So I encourage anyone to make sure that they have a strong network within the profession. Now, I have also seen that go in the wrong direction. Sometimes when people are really struggling, they just sort of get down in that pit together um, and there's nothing lifting them up. So I think you need to combine that because there's a lot of power in knowing that you're not alone in something. So I think that's why it's so important. But I think you also have to find those tools and, and be intentional about it. You can't, you have to know that it is a, str- we, we know now that it's going to be challenging. So prepare and find those uh, methods to think about, you know, having tools like using the language and understanding what these sinkers and balloons mean um, and, and kind of be proactive about it. And we can do that. We, we are the type veterinarians that you didn't just show up at veterinary school and get through that by just winging it, you know, so be as intentional about that as you were about getting through veterinary school. So do you consider this a hopeful conversation we're having here? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I left practice due to medical reasons, actually. I didn't leave because I wanted to leave for, for the mental struggle. I actually had a physical illness. And so I had to go through finding myself in general, which I think has saved my life. And what I tell people is I used to not recommend veterinary medicine to people prior to me finding this path. And now I say, listen, and I actually was sitting next to a woman on the plane, a young woman who wanted to go to vet school, and she found out I was a veterinarian, and she got really excited. And the old me would have been like, don't go. It's not worth it. The new me is like, listen, there's going to be a burn. It's going to be really hard. And I'm not just talking about blood and death and heartache. It's a whole, a whole other picture. And I reached down, and I happened to have a soft cover of my book, and I said, I want you to read this. And I'm not trying to promote my book. I'm just saying, I want you to read this. I'm going to give this to you. And my, my contact information's in the back, whatever, reach out to me. What I want you to do is have the tools to be prepared for the burn. And I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm trying to be realistic for you because it is really hard. And I don't, I don't know what to tell you to help you prevent that, but hopefully this will give you a tool. Laura, I love that you bring up, you know, you, the the fact that you used to 
say, no, don't do it, you know, and you've kind of shifted, um, was with a group of, of women in, in the profession discussing this very topic and what do you say now? And it was a really interesting conversation. And, and we talked about how most of us had felt that way at some point. And it made it up, but it also made us sad. And I think you dip back in the shame too. Mm-hmm. It's like you think you're helping someone by giving that advice, but then you go, how can I, I be so negative about this profession that I deep down do love? It's just the, the difficult um, pieces of it. So I think, you know, remaining positive and, and that's what, when you talk about those networks and connections, it's about helping other people along. And it's really more about preparing. And I think to be more hopeful and just be honest. Not, not those rosy glasses either. No, you can't. You can't ignore no. the struggle. No. You need to be aware of it, but don't let it own you. And the, the whole reason why I named the connect the, the, the movement One Life Connected is because I truly believe we all are One Life Connected, and if we stay in that space, that's where sustainability lies. And there are a lot of networks out there. And what I do challenge people to is is to be aware of how your network is supporting you. Um, a lot of Facebook groups, a lot of social media, and it's very easy to get pulled into that name blame judge. Now, the beauty of being able to talk about how we feel is powerful because it actually takes the energy away from shame. What we do with it from there is even more powerful. And there is the sympathetic response that we're having when we're in those moments where we fight or flight, right? Well, there's another piece to that. It's called flocking. So when you're seeing a large school of fish who have a big fish coming down on them, they all school together to use the masses, right, to protect themselves from the predator. And we'll see this within our profession, within any group of people, where they'll gather together to be like, clients are horrible, they hate everybody, and we start like swirling around together because we're protecting ourselves against them. And so it becomes us against them. It's actually a normal response. So fight, flight, freeze, or flock. And, and what I'll see is, okay, fine, let's, let's share. Now what do we do with it? And it can't be just positive affirmations and put the rosy glasses on. It's empathy, because that is actually the antidote to shame. It's empathy, connecting, and then being present for each other to stay connected, not just to each other, but ourselves and all of humanity. So you make really good points, I think, both of you about the connectedness and the networking. But it's interesting because you look, you know, psychographically at people who choose to become veterinarians. And very often they are introverted people who don't naturally flock to others. So, you know, if there there are people out here listening to this probably who are looking for where do I begin? Where do I start? So do you each have a resource or two that, number okay, number one, help them get started in their, their pathway back or find something to grab onto. And then the second question I would ask is um, where to begin if you are an introverted person when you're mm-hmm. trying to connect with those other people? Are, are there ways that they can reach out that are less fearful, I guess I would say, for, for someone who doesn't randomly walk up to someone and say like, hey, hi, I'm Brendan, I'm a veterinarian, and I'm really feeling depressed today. How can you help? Well, you know, one of the things that I think about is not only are we talking about um, connections and tools with within our profession, but one of the things that's challenging, I think, is people get sucked away from their friends, um, their family, things that they used to do before. So I think that is one big piece of advice is to reconnect with that area, because that's oftentimes one of the things um, that's been missing that's making you more vulnerable to to getting down in that pit. So I think that's pretty important. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm an introvert. 
I'm a heavy introvert. Um, I'm an INFP on my Myers-Briggs, which basically means I think I need to single-handedly save the world. <laughs> uh, not, not really that sustainable of a personality trait. So I get that because I am that person. I also do have a tribe. And I may not see them on a regular occasion, but I have like four or five people that I could pick up my phone right now. And if I text three of them, I know at least one of them will respond to me. And they are my support. I also follow other communities and I actually purposely will hide people or community or community groups on my social media so that I, 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 I train my feed to give me what I need. I want to see kittens playing and puppies and my friends. And, and so if I have an, you know, a family member who does really heavy political posts and I just, that hurts me, I will hide those individuals. Um, I'm still friends with them. I don't watch the news a lot. So as an introvert, I realize that I'm very sensitive to those things as a sensitive person. And so I will control my environment a little bit. I still get educated. It's not that I don't, but I don't watch it all the time. Choosing choosing the the spot. So as an introvert, I choose where I'm getting out there. Everybody thinks I'm an extrovert because I'm a speaker. I'm not. And and that is a, a sinker to some point. That's not a bad thing. But what's my unique balloon that works to help me embrace my in- introvertness? I'm also a perfectionist. I'm a compassionate. I'm sensitive. I'm analytical. I'm type A. I'm a people pleaser. I'm a workaholic. I mean, I am like the epitome of majority of us. And those can all be bad traits. However, I also embrace those traits. I am where I am today because of my perfectionism. That's a good way to look at that too, right? It can be a very positive thing. And I know, Laura, in your role, you are highly visible as well. I mean, you mm-hmm. are in the public eye in your job. Um, so do you have to psych yourself up every day too to, to get out there? Well, you know, everybody's going to have those days. I am much more extroverted, so I, I like that piece. But the other thing that's interesting, though, is I also work from home a lot when I'm not traveling. Um, and it, it was funny to me, I started to have some times where I wasn't in the greatest place and I'm trying to figure this out and self-care is a very common thing that we talk about and that certainly could be a a lot of things that you'll do in that space or you're going to be your balloons but I had a very narrow view of what that meant like you know it's you're having a stressful day here go to the spa you know do this you know it's none of those things so for me I realized I've, someone gave me a self-care worksheet and I'm going through and thinking about these things and I never thought about making sure I'm really up to date on all my doctor's visits, my routine health care, um, that you're part of a social network. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm an extrovert and I've been, haven't traveled in a couple of weeks and I've basically been driving to my kids' schools and then home and talking to people on the phone or on my laptop for the last couple of weeks. No wonder I'm kind of not in the greatest place right now. Um, but I, I didn't, I had a much more narrow view of what that meant to take care of myself in the, that way. Really an important topic. And I really thank you so much for taking time today to be here and talk with us about, about it. So thank you, Laura. And thank you, uh, Kimberly, for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having me.